Today on Awaken to Grace, we continue in part seven of our series, Walking with Jesus, where we are marching our way through the book of Mark. Well, today we come to the all-important chapter of seven, and oh, the great lessons, the great principles that we draw out of the scriptures. Well, we are being introduced to a woman, the Bible calls her the Syro. Phoenician woman. And today we're going to see her faith in action. We're going to see that it appears at face value that Jesus insults her. It appears that Jesus rejects her. It appears that Jesus would ignore this woman. Have you ever felt ignored by God? Have you ever felt abandoned by God? Well, that's what we're talking about today, and we are going to see what this woman did when she very easily could have felt offended by God. Oh, I hope that the Lord not only touches your heart, but perhaps you know someone who is hurt by God right now. Perhaps you know someone who is disappointed in the Savior. Oh, share this sermon with them, because many times in life, we can't take things at face value. It might be that God is doing right now more than meets the eye. That's what we find with this woman. Let's watch her faith in action today on this edition of Awakened to Grace. Mark chapter 7. Amen. This text today is quite complicated. It's a bit difficult. In our text today, a Syrophoenician woman, and I'll explain all about that, is going to approach Jesus, fall at his feet, and beg him to heal her daughter. And the Lord Jesus Christ does the most unusual thing. The Lord will do the most unusual things in this passage. If you're going to take notes, I want you to note this. Number one, the Lord ignores her. Can you imagine Jesus ignoring anyone? Number two, the disciples rejected her. I don't know if you've ever felt rejected in life. But what a thing when God's people reject you. I don't know if you've ever come to church and been in a room full of people but felt like they were all strangers. I don't know if you've ever reached out to someone who was supposed to be compassionate and supposed to pray for you and supposed to care for you and all you found was a cold shoulder. And then lastly, this woman could have been insulted. For the Lord Jesus said to her, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. What in the world was Jesus doing? What did he mean when he called her a dog? We're going to explain it all by the help of the Lord today. Are you ready to learn from God's word? I don't know how many of you have ever felt ignored by God. I don't know how many of you have ever taken something to God in prayer, a burden, an overwhelming situation, a circumstance that was far beyond your control, and you were met with silence. I don't know how many of you have ever expected God to help you and yet been disappointed with God when he was silent toward you. Some of you are listening today, and you know what it is to be hurt. By God. Some of you are listening, whether in the building or watching online, and you know what it is to be offended by God, to be let down by Him. Let me tell you, precious friend, you, what you're feeling, what you're going through, this text is for you. God had you in mind when he allowed this story to be in the Bible. And if you ever hear anything that this pastor tells you, I want you to understand this. You cannot find gold 
by raking for leaves. No, my friends, do you know how you find gold? You have to dig. You got to mine for gold. And let me tell you, the most precious treasures of the Bible are not found by reading it at face value. The most precious treasures of the Bible are not found in casual reading. The most precious treasure is found when you dig in the word of God. And today, if we will dig right here, I promise you, we are going to find gold today. Amen. And let me tell you what will happen. God is going to build your faith. And if you're somebody that you're hurt by God, if you're somebody that you're disappointed by God, I've got good gospel news for you today. God is about to change your life this morning because we're going to dig in the word of God and you're going to go home with some gold. Amen. God's word is so precious. And today we're not just simply going to read it. We're going to study it. You know, people who study the Bible for a living, you know what they're called? Theologians. Theology. That's the study, ology, theo, God. It's the study of God. But let me tell you, just because someone is a theologian doesn't mean they know the Lord. Just because someone is a theologian doesn't mean they believe the Bible. Doesn't mean they're born again. In preparation for this, I came across a, air quotes, theologian. <clears throat> Her argument was that this text proves that Jesus was not a sinless man. Her argument was that had Christ been perfect in his nature, had Christ been sinless in his nature, there is no way that a perfect sinless man would Treat a woman like this. There's no way that a mother would come to the Lord Jesus Christ with a broken heart and say, I need your help, and Christ would have called her a dog. And her conclusion was that this proves that Christ was not perfect. What a sorry excuse for a theologian. No, my friends, there. Well, we're going to go through it step by step. I'm going to show you today just how precious, how unbelievable, how thrilling, and how exhilarating the story of the Syrophoenician woman really is. You ready to get into it? Let's get our shovels. Let's dig today. Verse number 24 the Bible says, and then he arose and he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now that's significant. If you're going to take notes, let's understand first a bit of the context. Remember, in the beginning part of chapter 7, there is a group of Pharisees that come down from Jerusalem. Now these are bigwigs. Uh, these are the big guns. And they're going to come and they're going to challenge Christ. And they're going to have a verbal scuffle. And Christ is going to get into yet another debate and yet another argument with, these, with, with, with the highest uh, religious minds of Israel of this day. And they're going to treat him with contempt. By the time that we get to verse 24 and we see the verbal scuffle that Christ has with the Pharisees. Here's what I want you to understand what's going on with the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that the beauty of the Gospels is that it not only shows us that God was 100% God, not only was Christ 100% God, he was also 100% humanity. And you know what? One thing that I value as I study the Gospels, I value how tired and exhausted Jesus would get. Now, that's something. Because today, if you're tired in life, and let me tell you, but you know what? Let's use a better word, weary. You know, there's a difference between being weary and being tired. When you get tired, you can go to sleep for eight hours and wake up refreshed. But when you're weary, a good night's sleep don't always fix it, does it? And Christ knew what it was to be exhausted. If you remember when Jesus calmed the sea, do you remember what happened? It was quite fascinating. 
He was asleep in the stern of the ship. Now, friends, let me ask you, how tired do you have to be when you're in the stern of a ship that's about to break apart from the storm and you still won't wake up? You're pretty tired. Mark paints the picture for us when he tells us that Christ was almost physically crushed by the crowd. See what's going on. We're talking about a day where there's no hospitals. There are no emergency rooms. There's no long-term treatment care options. There is no medical science. There is no breakthrough in technologies. And people were desperate. And do you know what? Word spread everywhere according to the Gospels. People knew if you but touch his what? Garment. You will be healed. Friends, this became a very dangerous situation for Jesus and the disciples. When the Bible says that Christ attracted crowds, we're not talking about crowds with a 15-foot distance. We're talking about people that their only hope The only hope they had of survival was to touch his garment. We're talking about people who were at the end of their rope. We're talking about people who were literally desperate just to touch him. And it was a dangerous thing for Christ. You remember last week in chapter 6, after the beheading of John the Baptist, the disciples desperately needed time away. They tried to get to a place of, des- of desolation, a place of, of retreat. And the Bible says that there were so many people following them, they could not even eat. You remember that? They get in a boat and people along the shore recognize him. And the Bible says they run on foot. And before you know it, a crowd has gathered. Jesus couldn't get away. By the time we come to verse 24, he and the disciples are exhausted. So do you know where they go? They go to a region called Tyre and Sidon. Now, this is interesting. If you're going to take notes, let me give you a number of things to write down, and you'll, hopefully you'll find this as fascinating as I do. Tyre and Sidon is what is in today, modern-day Lebanon, Okay? This would have been Gentile territory. As a matter of fact, this is the furthest Jesus traveled physically when he was on the earth. This is as far as he went physically. Now, what is he doing? He's trying to get away. Christ and the disciples need some time. They need to relax. And so the Bible says that he goes into a house. I read that as they got on Airbnb.com and booked a place. I don't know. Probably not. But they go into a house. And verse 24 says that he didn't want to be known. But notice what it says. He could not be hidden. Isn't that interesting? Now the story is going to escalate. In verse number 25, we are told that a woman comes to him who has a little girl who is possessed by a demon. And why has she come to him? The Bible says because she what? She heard that Jesus was there. What in the world did this woman hear about? As you know, I can't wait to meet these people in heaven. (laughs) I'm just going to investigate. (laughs) And I can't wait. Again, the Bible don't tell us her name. I'll get to heaven. I'll just have to say, anybody know where the Syrophoenician woman is? Because I got some questions. What did she hear? Maybe she heard about the paralytic who was let down, lowered down from the roof that we met in chapter 2. Maybe it was the man with the withered hand that we met in chapter 3. Maybe it was the man with the leprosy from chapter 1. But do you know who I bet it was? I bet it was chapter 5. I bet it was Jairus' daughter who was a little girl of the age of 12 that got so bad she died and the Lord Jesus raised her from the dead. Amen? I bet she heard that story. And something remarkable happened. God put faith in her heart. She said to herself, I got to get to Jesus. 
Maybe she heard about the woman with the blood disease who suffered for 12 years and spent all she had on physicians and didn't get any better but grew all the more worse. And what did she say? If I could but touch the hem of his garment. What in the world did she hear about Jesus? So here this woman is. She's desperate. She comes. She falls at his feet. She comes with humility. And listen to what John Mark tells us. You know, I'm as fascinated with what the Bible does tell us as well with what it doesn't tell us. It don't tell us anything about her husband. It doesn't tell us her name. It doesn't tell us her occupation. We don't know if she was well-to-do or if she was poor. Here's the only thing that the text is going to tell us. And I want you to write it down. Number one, she was a Gentile. Now that's going to be significant. Because it's going to shape the way that Christ talks to her. And we, we, we have to understand some of the context here. So, number one, she's a Gentile. Some translations say she was Greek. And the reason it says Greek is because she would have been what was called Hellenistic. That means that Greek culture, she would, she would have been in, in this Greek culture where she spoke Greek and it was Hellenistic. John Mark is telling us some things here. The second thing he's going to tell us is that she was Syrophoenician. Now, what does Syrophoenician mean? Remember, this is a part of Lebanon, and it would have been an area controlled by the Syrians. So she was Syrophoenician. I have spent some time in Lebanon. I've been there twice to Beirut, and I remember on my first trip to Beirut, I made a great, great mistake. In Lebanon, they speak Arabic. Well, in our Western thinking, if you speak Arabic... You must be Arab. I mistakenly referred to the Lebanese as Arabs. Whoa! I was corrected very quickly. My friend said, no, no, no. We are not Arabs. We are Phoenicians. Who was this Syro-Phoenician? She was from this region, Tyre and Sidon. Now, why is this significant? If you're going to take notes, note this. Tyre and Sidon, this region has an interesting history with the Jews. Number one, you need to know, remember when Solomon built his temple, much of the wood came out of the cedars of where? Lebanon. It came out of Tyre and Sidon. These were important port cities. But do you know who else came out of Tyre and Sidon? That woman in the Old Testament that the Bible calls Jezebel. Anybody remember Jezebel? This region was a hotbed of paganism and idolatry. This is foreign territory to a Jew. When you get into the New Testament days, it was the famous historian, the Jewish historian Josephus, that tells us that the people of Tyre and Sidon were one of the most bitter enemies to the Jews. So it begs the question, what is Christ doing here? What are the disciples doing? Verse number 25, I'm sorry, verse number 26, the end says that this woman who we know very little, but now we have a little bit of backstory. We know she's a Gentile. She's Hellenistic. We know that she's a Syrophoenician. We know that she's desperate. We know that she heard about Jesus. And she comes to him in a spirit of humility, falls at his feet. And look at the last phrase of verse 26. It says that she begged him. Now, this is interesting because in the Greek, this word beg doesn't just mean one time. It is ongoing. It is, it, it is pluristic here. She continues to plead with him. Now, why is that significant? If you would like, you can note Matthew chapter 15. That is the parallel story in the Gospels to this story. Now, what's interesting to me is that while Mark records more miracles than any other gospel, 
Mark is a fast-moving text, right? Remember, we keep saying it's like a moving script. It's fast-moving. Remember the key word of the book of Mark, which I think is in verse 25? Remember what it is? Immediately. What does immediately mean? In the Greek, it's ethos, E-U-T-H-O-S. It's used 45 times just in the gospel of Mark. Think about that. It's only used 41 times in the entire New Testament apart from Mark. And just in the small gospel of Mark, it's used 45 times. Why? Because Mark is driving us. He's pushing us. There's an urgency to decide, are you going to follow Christ or not? It's leading you to a decision point. And let me tell you, the Syrophoenician woman is a beautiful example of deciding to follow Jesus. So he uses the word immediately because there's an urgency here. Now, Matthew, on the other hand, when you read the account in the book of Matthew, Matthew's going to give us a lot more detail. And do you know why? (laughs) Matthew, before he began to follow Jesus, was a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated in Israel. Because do you know how the job of a tax collector worked? The emperor in Rome would tell the governor of this area, in this case Pontius Pilate and King Herod, he would tell these men, you're going to pay X amount of dollars to Rome in taxes. So just to make it up and to make it easy, he would say, you're going to pay Rome $100 in taxes. What the governors would do is then they would go to whoever was over the district, and they would say, you're going to pay taxes out of people, and you're going to pay $125. And then they would go get their tax collectors, like Matthew, and they would say, you're going to pay $150. And then the sleazy tax collectors, like Matthew, would go to the people and say, you're going to pay $175. And do you see how everybody got a little bit off the top? That not a lot has changed. <laughs> then Matthew gets converted and he takes his little tax table and he walks away and he leaves everything to follow Jesus. But see, Matthew would have had to have had a great skill in that day. To be a tax collector, do you know what skill you had to have? The ability to write shorthand. Let me tell you, friends, many of you have got unique skills. And if you would offer those skills to the kingdom of God, you wouldn't believe how God would use your skills. You know how I believe God used Matthew's shorthand? Matthew was able to write verbatim the discourses of Jesus. Why? He had shorthand. Matthew tells us more details. Why? Because of his ability for shorthand. Isn't that interesting? So Matthew tells us a lot more to the story. I want you to notice what Matthew is going to share with us about this story. If you're going to take notes, write this down. Number one, Jesus ignores her. This fascinates me. Matthew tells us that when she began to plead with him, He answered her not a word. What is going on? Is Jesus in that bad of a mood? Is Jesus just so tired and so exhausted that he don't want to deal with her? Or is there a deeper reason why? He answered her not a word. I don't know if you have ever faced the silence of God, but it's a troubling thing. I don't know if you've ever poured your heart out to the Lord and it seemed like God was silent. It seemed like you were being ignored. Like the Syrophoenician woman, could it be that there's way more going on than what you and I realize? Now, number two, another thing that Matthew's going to tell us that Mark leaves out is that the disciples were annoyed 
by her. So not only has Jesus ignored her, now the disciples reject her. The disciples are annoyed and they say to Jesus, send her away. Why? Because remember the Greek word for beg in Mark 7, 26 is pluralistic. She is following them, begging them. And the disciples are so annoyed, they're saying, get her out of here, Jesus. I can hear the disciples. This is our, this is our staff retreat. We're on vacation. I am not up here in Tyre and Sidon to help somebody. I'm here to get, I'm here to relax. Now, let me ask you a question. When you're extremely tired, do people get on your nerves? I can kind of understand it from the disciples. I get that they're annoyed. I understand that. But how can Jesus ignore? How could he, how could he even not say a word to her? The disciples, I understand, because they're human. Christ is divine. Could it be that there's more going on than meets the eye? So the disciples are annoyed. They say, put her away. And she presses in. I want you to look with me back in Mark 7, verse 27. I want you to look at what Jesus says to her. He says something Stunning, shocking. He says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Not only was she ignored, not only was she rejected, number three, she could have been highly insulted. You know what most people in our culture today would have done? They would have said, Jesus, I asked you for help, and that's how you treat me? Forget it. And they would have walked away sorrowful. But not this woman. What did Jesus mean? It's not right to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. How many of you have dogs? And you know I can't see you. Why do you raise your hands <laughs> on a blind pastor? Some of you just raise your hand like I'm looking right at you. <laughs> I've known my CPA for a while now, and uh, I was meeting with her not long ago, and I mean, I was talking to her right across the desk, and she gets up and goes, get, grabs a folder or something and stands beside me, and she's showing me all the financial figures, and I'm just looking at her like, and then when she sees my confused look, she goes, oh, Chad, I'm so, I forget you're blind. LAUGHTER Many of you know, I won't go off on too bad of a rabbit trail here, but some of you know my precious dog, Sam. We had him put down after 13 years a few weeks ago, about three or four weeks ago. We, Sadie and I, were married in March of 09, and we got Sam in February of 09 from the pound. And he was our dog. And let me tell you, my kids, all four of our kids, the, the, within five minutes of bringing them home from the hospital, he licked all four right up the back of the head, and bam, they're part of the family. And our kids, as they would be toddlers and get older, our, all of our kids had to learn. You don't turn your back with food with Sam, because he'd always get it, right? And... In the early days, Sam would follow me, hoping I would feed him. But as our kids came along, I noticed he always hung around the youngest one because he knew they would drop the most food, right? What in the world does Jesus mean by what seems like an insult of the century? It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. What? what in the world? Well, first of all, let's understand. Again, Matthew's going to help us. He's going to tell us in chapter 15. Jesus tells the woman, I have come for the lost sheep of Israel. 
What it is saying, let's understand some important theology here. The priority of Jesus was to come to the Jew first. And what does John 1, 11 and 12 say? He came to his own. His own received him not. But to as many as did believe, to them gave he the right to become the children of God. To those who believed in his name. He gave them the power to become the sons, daughters of God. That's us now. But the gospel first came to the Jew. That was the purpose of Christ's coming. And what he's saying is, I have made a banquet feast for the Jew first. Now, are the Gentiles going to be part of that? Yes, that was always part of God's plan. We are grafted in. And now, according to Romans 1, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. It's all the kingdom of God. And one day, you're talking about a table, one day you and I are going to feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen? Amen. But the priority first was the Jew. Now, she could have been highly offended by this. But watch what her faith does. So Jesus says it's not right. It wouldn't be right. As much as I loved Sam, it wouldn't be right for my children to go hungry and yet I feed Sam. There's an order. There's a divine order. And so Jesus says it's not right to feed the dogs. Now, in our culture, that's insulting. In his culture, whoo! So what's he saying? Well, the Greek word for dog would have meant... A scavenger, like, uh, you know, dogs in this day, few were domesticated, few were used as pets. Dogs were seen as highly unclean, and they would roam towns and villages in packs. They were scavengers. And that's how a Jew would view a Gentile. In Jewish culture in this day, you could be ceremonial, un, ceremonially unclean just by being around a Gentile. And they referred to Gentiles as dogs. You can look up the Greek word there. It's, it starts with a K. I'm sorry it's failing my memory. But Jesus does not use the normal Greek word for dog here, which would have been a scavenger. He uses a different word. Matter of fact, if you're reading a New King James Version today, you'll notice that your New King James Bible says little dog. What do the translators mean by little dog? What Jesus, the, the Greek word he uses is that of a domesticated puppy. Bringing a little puppy into your home. Now something happened when Jesus used this analogy. This woman, <laughs> she got a glimmer of hope from what Jesus said, and she, her faith took hold of it. She knew what Jesus was saying. And instead of being entitled, instead of going with arrogance, instead of having pride in her heart, you know what this woman is saying? This woman is saying, Jesus, you are right. There is a divine order. Jesus, I'm not worthy of anything. Jesus, I don't deserve anything. And you know what she says? Oh, the faith. This woman says, yes, Lord. Oh, we got to go back to Matthew 7 or 15 for a moment. We got to go back to Matthew 15 to really understand what's happening. Say amen if you're with me right now. We're going to dig right now. Here's some gold. Three times this woman says, Yes, Lord, to Jesus. Now, why is that important? Because do you remember way back in Mark chapter 2 weeks ago? Do you remember when the man, the paralytic man, was lowered down from the roof and Jesus forgives the man's sin? Do you remember what the Pharisees said in their heart? How can this man do such things? Do you remember what we said about that? The Greek term, this man, was a derogatory statement. What they were saying in their hearts, he calls himself the Son of God. All he is is but flesh. He's just a man, just like everybody else. 
Do you remember when the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus rebukes the wind and calms the waves? Do you remember what the disciples said? Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Do you remember Jesus, his own family came to get him, his brothers and sisters, because they thought he was out of his head. Do you remember even the people of his own hometown last week in chapter 6? They didn't believe him. They said, why, this is the son of the carpenter. (sighs) Jesus, my foot. He grew up three doors down from me. Jesus, son of God. I taught his Sunday school class. Jesus. I knew him when he was seven years old. Son of God. Messiah. Yeah, right. Oh, but not this Syrophoenician woman. Do you know what? God put faith in her heart. And do you know what she calls him in Matthew chapter 15? She calls him Lord three different times. And she gives him, she calls him the messianic title for Jesus. She says, son of David. Friends, you know the weightiness of that? She was saying, Jesus, you are who you say you are. You are the promised one. You're the Messiah. You're the very son of God. Amen. Even the disciples haven't come to this point yet. Next chapter is Peter's great confession. And here Jesus encounters all these demons and every demon he encounters, what do they do? They say, thou art the Christ. And the disciples are scratching their heads saying, who is he? And this woman, oh, her faith, she says, you're the the son of David. You're the Lord. You're the son of God. And when she was ignored, and when she was rejected, and would it would have seemed as though she was insulted, do you know what her faith does? Her faith says, yes, Lord, I'm not worthy of a thing. I get it. I understand it. Friends, I want you to know today, this woman did not have a fragile faith. She had a faith that was tenacious. And let me tell you, I don't want a fragile faith today. I want a faith that is persistent. I want a faith that is tenacious. That even in my flesh, if I feel like God is ignoring me. Even in my flesh, if I feel like God has abandoned me. Even in my flesh, if I feel like God doesn't care. I don't quit. I don't give in. I press in all the more. Amen. This was the kind of faith this woman had. And what a precious, precious gift it is. Do you know what we learned from this woman? We learned that God's delays are never God's denials. And what does your faith do when it seems as though God has delayed you? Does your faith quit? Does your faith give up? Or does your faith press in? I want to press in, amen? And look what she says to the Lord. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs, the little ones, the puppies, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the children. What faith. You know what the point is? The point is Luke 18, 1. Jesus is not ignoring her to be mean to her. Jesus is not speaking to her this way, to be mean to her. Do you know what Jesus is doing? Jesus is giving us one of the greatest models, one of the greatest examples of faith that there is in the Bible. That here when he comes to his own hometown, they don't believe. His own family, they don't believe. The Pharisees, they don't believe. His own disciples, up to this point, aren't 100% sure. But this woman had faith that would not quit. Do you have faith like that today? And so verse 29 and 30, 
we see faith rewarded. Jesus said for this statement, go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And like that, instantly, she was set free. Verse 30, she goes home. She finds her little girl in bed, free from the torment of that unclean spirit. Unbelievable. Now let me finish out the chapter before I close today. Now something remarkable is going to happen. Verse number 31, Jesus is going to leave the region. He's going to leave Tyre, go through Sidon, go down the Sea of Galilee, and then he's going to come to a familiar place to us, Decapolis. Now, do you remember where Decapolis was? Decapolis is where we were at the beginning of Mark chapter 5. Do you remember the man who was tormented by the legion of demons? Woo! Jesus, in chapter 5, gets off the boat, The man tormented sees him from a distance, run and falls at his feet, and the demons cry out, the Holy One of Israel, the Son of God. And what does Jesus do? He casts them out. He sends them into the herd of pigs. They run over the cliff. They drown in the Sea of Galilee. And do you remember what happens to this man? Oh, I love it. Oh, I love the Word of God. The Bible says (laughs) that the people heard the news, ran to the scene, and they saw the man clothed and sitting in his right mind. Amen. God had rescued him. And the man is so grateful to Jesus, he begins to get back into the boat, and the man says, can I go with you? In other words, he wants to become a disciple. He wants to, wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to follow Jesus? And do you remember what Jesus says? He gives him an assignment. Jesus says, stay in this region and tell everyone what the Lord has done for you. Well, that was months ago. Many things have taken place. That was all the way back in chapter 5. Now in chapter 7, Jesus is going to come back. Now, when the pigs were ran into the sea, remember how significant that was. Jews had nothing to do with pigs. They weren't kosher. They were unclean. So what in the world are Jews doing raising pigs? You know what they were doing? They were, in, they were on the border of Gentile territory. They were raising the swine to sell to the Gentiles. It is a terrible picture of God's people Messing around with worldly and unclean things. God's people had no business raising pigs like that. Not in this day. Well, remember, the people wanted Jesus to leave. They said, leave our region. Why? Because he hurt their pocketbooks. There went their income. Now what happens in verse 31? See, I thought the story was over. I thought we never heard back from this guy. I thought the Bible just, sometimes it introduces to people and then we have no idea the outcomes or what happened. Well, in chapter 5, Jesus tells him, stay in the region. Tell everyone what God's done for you. And now, months later, we come back. And when Jesus comes to Decapolis, look what happens. The people come to him. What people? The same people who tried to run him off. And this time they bring a man deaf and mute. And look what it says that they did. They begged him to lay his hand on him. Friends, that tells me that the man who was so tormented by the demons and was set free by Jesus, that tells me that his ministry became so effective that when Jesus came back, everyone believed in him and was ready to see him do miracles. Amen. That now they're bringing the hurting to him. What a turnaround in the region. Friends, you know what this tells me? It tells me that your story matters. It tells me that your testimony matters. It tells me that you and I are responsible for crafting our testimony. It tells me we're responsible for sharing Jesus right here in our region. So Jesus comes through the crowd. He takes this poor man. 
You know, I think about my blindness and things that I miss. But even being blind, I'm able to communicate relatively easy with people. I mean, I miss a lot of things. Somebody told me uh, a little while ago that Piper, when she last year she was 10, someone said that the countdowns were going on the screen, and she came and asked me something on the front row, and they said, I saw you shake your head no, and my little 10-year-old stuck her tongue out at me. <laughs> so I miss a lot of things. But I can't imagine what an isolated world this poor man who is both deaf and mute. I can't imagine his isolation. And they bring him to Jesus and Jesus takes him away from the crowd. Gets him out of any unbelief. and Jesus gets him alone. And I want you to watch what Jesus does. He puts his fingers in his ears. Can you imagine the very touch of the creator? Can you imagine what it would have been for the creator's fingers? The Bible says he spit. That's twice that we know that Jesus spit. Why? I, I don't know. I'm not a professional theologian. I, I just read the Bible and believe it. Uh, I, I'm not a pro in this, but I, I, I would imagine... Can you imagine the DNA of Jesus? Can you imagine the creative power just within his DNA? And the Bible says he touched his tongue. And Jesus says, Abatha, it's Aramaic. Remember what we keep saying through the study? Mark wrote to the Romans, he didn't write to the Jews. That's why three times in chapter 7 along, something is either Jewish or it's in Aramaic, and Mark translates. Why does he translate? Because he's not writing to Jews. He's writing to Gentiles. <laughs> Which makes this woman's faith all the more precious. And in Aramaic, he says, Abatha, which means be opened. And the Bible says instantly, the man's ears opened and his tongue released and he spoke plainly. What a miracle, amen. And then, verse 36, it's amazing. Jesus charges him and says, don't tell anybody. Now, why do you suppose Jesus told him not to tell anyone? He does this over and over in the Gospels. I, I don't 100% know, but my thinking is, you know, the authorities are going to execute him for these things. There's a due season, a due time for Christ to die. He was going to die at the appointed time. I think, I think it's just so that the authorities don't get so riled up so fast. But here's what's interesting. He tells the people of the Bible days, don't tell anybody. And they tell everybody. We live under the Great Commission where Jesus tells us, tell everybody. And we stay silent. Something's wrong with that. Amen. We ought to be telling everybody. Remember what Billy Graham used to say? I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Amen. And we ought to be telling everyone about this gospel that has so changed our life. Have you crafted your testimony? We have a tool on our website called This Is My Story. We ask you three questions that we help you craft your testimony. Who was I before I met Jesus? Can you articulate that? 
Can you talk about who you were before Jesus? The second question is how I met Jesus. Do you remember how the Lord led you to repentance? Do you remember the circumstances that God led you to faith? If you've never listened to my mom's story, it's on the Awakened to Grace app. It's called Rescued. Oh, you ought to listen to the way that God led her to faith in her 20s. Knew nothing of God. Didn't know anything. But I remember saying she was in her 20s before she ever even learned of Daniel and the lion's den or David and Goliath, the things that I grew up hearing she had never even heard until she was in adulthood. But God led her to faith. Can you articulate how your faith journey came? And then the last question is, who I am after meeting Jesus? Can you explain the change of heart, the change of desires, the change of your nature? You know why some of you don't desire what you used to? Because God is saving you. God is changing you. Amen? And you should tell everybody. Our chapter ends in verse 37. He charges them. Don't tell anyone. They go tell everybody. And you know, this is my greatest prayer for this culture. Verse 37. The Bible says that the people, the very people that ran him out of the region... A couple of chapters ago, the people were astonished beyond measure at Jesus. Let me tell you, friends, you know why we preach God's word? You know why we live out our faith? You know why we follow Jesus? You know why we make much of Jesus? Because we want people to be utterly astonished at his grace. Amen. I don't want anyone astonished at preaching Christ church. I don't want anyone astonished at us. Because let me tell you, we will fail you and we will disappoint you at every turn. But Jesus won't. If you're in love with this church, you will sorely disappointed you need to be in love with Jesus who is the head of his church amen do you use a streaming device at home or at work simply say hey Google play Awaken to Grace with Chad Roberts podcast and listen to our weekly podcast that is the current sermon that I preach each week at Preaching Christ Church